0: Well, good morning. Uh, just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know who I am, my name's Ben Hurd. I am the senior pastor, and it is a, a joy to have you. And if I could say I have favorite people, I would choose you guys for coming to the 830 service. But I can't do that, uh, so don't tell the second service that I said you're my favorite, but you might be. Um, this morning, before we get started, I, I wanted to address an issue that came up in light of the sermon last week. Uh, it was brought to my attention that I had said something that had raised some red flags. And after reviewing that, um, I, I went to the elders and we talked about it and unanimously agreed that I, I should address it because my words were not clear. And I want to make sure clarity is in picture here. So, what I had said was under the point gospel opposition comes when gods are threatened. And here is what I said, and I quote. That's another thing that Christians like to make gods out of. We like to make Roe v. Wade a God issue. Roe v. Wade is not a God issue. Now God has an issue if we are choosing to abort our babies, but the gospel is not abortion or pro-life. We should be pro-life. But we can be so against things that we forget who we are for, and people only know us for what we are against. End quote. So that's what I had said, and, and I recognize I did not say that well. And for that I'm sorry. And I just wanted to clarify what I meant to communicate. I meant to communicate this. We must be careful not to make Roe v. Wade into an idol. I see Christians, like myself, who are against abortion, but can be so volatile on the issue that they damage their Christian witness in the process. Yes, the Bible tells us to speak the truth, but we must do so in love. So to clarify, I do believe Roe v. Wade is a God issue. I do believe it is a gospel issue and in supporting pro-life we must do so in a way that we speak the truth in love in a way that honors Christ. And so uh, I am sorry for my mix-up of words last week and wanted to bring clarity to that. If you have further questions or concerns please uh, see me after the service and and I do just want to express my appreciation for those who did bring it up appropriately. Uh, they did so well, graciously. Uh, they had a concern and was able to address that. So, but for now, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Last week, uh, we saw the church, the early church, once again facing opposition to the gospel In this particular situation, they were confronted by a silversmith named Demetrius. If you recall, he was blaming Paul for turning people to Christ and away from idolatry, and thus, uh, like shrinking the pool of people who would be purchasing the idols that they were making. And so, this created quite an uproar. And we talked about how gospel advancement leads to opposition to the gospel. The world doesn't want to hear about Jesus, does it? It doesn't want to be confronted with the gospel message because it is offensive. I mean, think about it. It starts with the reality that there is this perfect God who opposes people. He opposes all humanity because all humanity is born in sin. We're all created sinners and because of that, separated from God. And our flesh does not want to hear that we are utterly dependent on God. And so therefore, there's opposition to the gospel being proclaimed. And so that was what we talked about last week, which leads into this morning in chapter 20. And no doubt here, the Christians have been shaken up because if you remember, they were, some of them were dragged into the theater and there was shouting and chaos. And I imagine that Paul was aware of what was going on. And we saw that he wanted to take part of it, but they would not let him be in that. And so what we get here in in Acts 20 is a picture that helps us understand some key elements to gospel advancement. And so let's look at the text together this morning, Acts 20, starting in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tishikis and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for already singing of your glorious grace that we see in Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sin. Lord, you are mighty to save. And Lord, I I pray for us this morning as we talk about Acts 20, I ask that your spirit would be a strong presence, Lord, that you would give us the gift of illumination, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law, God, that we would see your word, that we would love it, that we would cherish it, Lord, and I pray that we would be challenged As we look to fulfill what you've called us to do, to bring glory to your name by making disciples. God, that we would see the gospel advance in our spheres of influence. Lord, we need you to do this. And so would you move through us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, what we're talking about is advancing the gospel together. Advancing the gospel together. What's the mission of our church? Glorify God by making disciples, right? Everything we do is for the glory of God, and we want to see disciples made. We are called to advance the gospel, and it's what we've been seeing taking place all throughout the book of Acts, right? We've seen God move mightily, and disciples were given the Holy Spirit, as is every believer, in order to be God's witnesses to the end of the earth. And the truth is, The gospel advances when we do it together. Here's point number one as far as gospel advancement is concerned. Gospel advancement involves more than evangelism. Gospel advancement involves more than evangelism. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, He said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So first of all, I want you to picture yourself as one of these disciples in the end of chapter 19 who were dragged into the theater where they were chanting, Great is Artemis, if you remember, they were praising Artemis their God that they had created, and, and they were ready to stone these disciples. Imagine being one of these disciples in that situation, where for hours, it says, they were chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and no doubt they were wondering, were they facing the last hours of their life? Like, were they going to make it out of this situa- situation? And so, in light of What had taken place? What did Paul do with everything after the dust had settled? He went to the disciples to encourage them. He understood that the gospel must continue to advance. And in order to do that, sometimes we need encouragement. The disciples needed to be encouraged not to give up. Don't let the threat of your life keep you from proclaiming the gospel. The Christian life is hard, isn't it? We live in a sinful world. We are confronted every day with temptations all around. So many ups and downs. There there are days where we feel like we're nailing it, right? You have those days where you feel like, man, this Christian life is awesome. Like, things are cooking on all cylinders. And, and then you have days where you feel like, this is it. Like, what good am I? Why, when is God just going to be done with me in light of My sinfulness and my failures and and there are times when we are bold with our faith and yet we get completely rejected by others. There are times when we are standing for the truth, we're standing for the things of God and we feel like we're the only one around us who believes the truth. And sometimes we can feel like our backs are up against the wall, much like these disciples who were dragged into the theater If we want to be a church and a people that advances the gospel in our fears of influence, it will be because we understand that advancing the gospel is not only about evangelism, but it's also about encouraging others. We need encouragement in the fight because we are all tempted to grow weary. We're all tempted to lose faith. We're all tempted to get sidetracked in what we are supposed to do. And i got to be honest with you. If I was one of these men dragged into the theater because of my faith, I'm not sure how I would have responded. I mean, I could be a guy who is so full of fear sometimes over little things. But, yeah, I've never had my life threatened. (laughs) And so here you have these disciples who their life is threatened and so I know as well as what they needed, I need, and we desperately need the encouragement from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see that Paul needed the encouragement too. Do you remember earlier in Acts? He, he had a buddy that was with them, Barnabas. Do you remember what Barnabas meant? Son of encouragement. Like Paul needed it too. And we even, we've talked about in the past, too, how 2 Corinthians 1, Paul shared how he despised of life itself. Paul needed encouragement, too. And if the Apostle Paul, whom often the church lifts up on a pedestal, needs encouragement, then certainly we need encouragement as well. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It says this. Let me read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. I mean, encouragement comes in different ways, doesn't it? There are some days where that encouragement may look like admonishment. It may look like confrontation. When we get off track and we get sideways and we start to stray in our walk with the Lord... When we get idle, when we get lazy, when we get unmoved by the needs of the world, like we need brothers and sisters to come alongside to encourage us, to admonish us. Sometimes, just like the scripture says, we just need encouragement. Encourage the faint-hearted. You ever found yourself faint-hearted just, just from the trials of life? Just uh we have a few teachers in the classroom. How you doing after <laughs> the first few days and you're just exhausted because You've had the summer off, and now it's back into it. And, and, you know, I was thinking this week, my wife, Nikki, she actually just started part-time. So she's only there every other day. And I see all of the things that she does. And I'm just like, I can tend to get angry because I think about athletes that are making millions of dollars. And I think of teachers who are making far more of a difference in people's lives and the money that they make. I mean, praise the Lord. Thank you for pouring into our, our students. Like, sometimes, though, we just get faint-hearted And we need brothers and sisters to come alongside us to encourage us when we're discouraged. So it's not always that we need to be admonished. Sometimes we just need to be encouraged. Notice it says, help the weak. You ever just feel weak? You ever feel like you just don't have the strength? Maybe if you've had COVID. When we had COVID, it just wiped us out like for a few weeks and we were weak. I remember when my brother passed away. Just the. The lack of strength that we had. Have you ever just found yourself just from trials where you're just weak and you just need somebody to come help you. Just help with simple tasks that you usually can do just fine. But now you find yourself unable to do it. The reality is we all need encouragement. So how can we be an encouragement to one another? How can we make sure that we are helping the gospel advance by making sure our other brothers and sisters in Christ are strong in the Lord? Here's some some thoughts for you. Write a letter to someone you know who could use it. Or just someone that you want to make sure they understand how blessed you are because of their life. What, What a powerful tool that is when you go to the mailbox and you find a handwritten letter Kind of a lost art, isn't it? Remember when like, that was all you could kind of do? And now we have, and I'm not, I mean, I think we should also text one another. And we, should, we can call one another, certainly. We can email one another. Let's just make sure that we're expressing our thankfulness through written or spoken word. What an encouragement. You've tasted and seen that. You've seen that. Who can you encourage this week through the written or spoken word? How about this? Send a gift. Amazon has revolutionized the online shopping experience to where you can send anything to anybody within a couple days. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever gotten that? I've, I've gotten some, some random gifts from people who just wanted to bless them. I mean, what an awesome thing when you have this gift come in the mailbox. So such a blessing. Who can you bless with? Who, what would be something that would encourage? Send flowers, a gift card... For food, take someone out for dinner. Or, or better yet, invite them over for dinner. Use whatever method you want to express to someone how grateful you are for them. Here, here's the greatest way, though, that I have ever experienced encouragement from one another's When my brothers and sisters have opened up God's word and, and shared scripture with me. When I've laid a burden down and they've responded not with just, like, I'll pray for you, which is good, but 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 also, hey, I'm praying for you, but also take encouragement from what God's word says. Because here's the beauty about God's word. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, man's wisdom only goes so far. You know, have you ever been in a struggle and, and somebody says, it's going to get better? Like, does that really help? But when we find hope in God's word that reminds us that Hey, you know, God is, Jesus is going before, he's going before you. He's preparing a place for you where he's going to wipe away every tear. Man, the encouragement from God's word. Let's be a people and a church that encourages one another with God's word. That's exactly what Dave is talking about. What is biblical counseling all about? Don't get caught up in your mind to think that you have to be like this professional. I think Dave would acknowledge like, they're not professional counselors. They're just bringing God's word to life. That's really what it is. It's encouragement. Some people need a little bit more encouragement than others. But we all need encouragement. Gospel advancement involves more than evangelism. Here's point number two. Gospel advancement happens best in community. Gospel advancement happens best in community. Look at verse 3. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, there it is again, more opposition. As he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, if you guys are looking for baby names, some great lists here, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians. Tishikis and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So there's traveling here. As I pointed out once again, there's, there's opposition. So Paul goes to these different places, but notice that he's not journeying alone, He's not sharing the gospel and helping the gospel advance on his own. He's not looking for a one-man show. Paul is not a one-man band. And I, I just love, yes, there's an emphasis that we see about Paul and his missionary journeys, but he could never do what he did alone. He needed these people for encouragement. He needed his people just to get things done because We do far better. We get far more done when we do it together than when we do it alone. I love how the author takes the opportunity to list the names of these disciples who fought the good fight with Paul. I just believe strongly that gospel advancement happens best in community. In other words, more work can be done when we are linking arms together This is why scripture is so high. You read through the New Testament. You read through Paul's letters. And he speaks over and over again about the importance of unity. About the importance of being of one mind. Of being of one heart. Being unified. To live in humility. Because apart from humility, apart from unity, we can't be unified as a church. But together we can do more. Some of us. Here today, need to come to the end of ourselves and realize that we need each other. We need help. We can't do this life alone. For so many people, they live this maverick mentality of like, I'm going to pull up my own bootstraps and I got this. I was talking to somebody recently going through a struggle and they're like, man, I just used to be so independent and, and just able to do it myself. And what I want to say to them is like, Maybe this is God's grace to remind you that you can't do it yourself. You see, when we live independently of other people, God may want to humble us. He may even want to humiliate us. I I think of Peter in the Bible. Remember what Peter did? Remember how bold he was? Like if anything needed to be done, Peter was there, ready to fight for it. Do you remember when they came to arrest Jesus, what Peter did? ripped out his sword and cut the ear off of that servant, and Jesus had to rebuke him. And, and, and remember when it's like, uh, you know, you guys are going to, de- somebody's going to deny me, and what did Peter stand up and say? Oh, I would never do that. And then what happened in the, in the, in the courtyard, when there, Jesus was on trial, people are calling Peter out, saying, hey, you're one of them. You were with Jesus. What did Peter do? Denied Jesus three times. And then after that third time, he locked eyes with Jesus. And he went out and wept bitterly. He was humiliated because he, re- he, he didn't realize beforehand how much he needed other people in his life. We must understand that we are desperate for each other. God created us for community. Just consider God's word here. Keep a finger here. Keep a mark here. And turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Listen to what God's Word says Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but... How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Even Jesus said this in Matthew 18 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Scripture is clear that we were created for community. We need each other because we're all going to have moments where we fall. And woe to the person who falls without someone there to lift them up. Here's another way that we see the beauty of community and how it helps advance the gospel. Like let's just acknowledge the fact that aren't we all a mess? Look to the person next to you and say I'm a mess. Say back you're a mess too. <laughs> we're all a mess, are we not? And if we're not careful, we can get at each other, we can take that, something that somebody says, and we can use it to like rip them apart outside of that person's where they're at. Like we can go to somebody else and we can start gossiping, and then that's how church plan, that's how churches splits is because people go to things outside of the person that they're offended with, instead of working working through things with that person, they go outside, and that tears apart community. But when the church comes together, when we recognize that we're all a mess, but we realize that Jesus has rescued us from our sin, of which we deserve hell, and then when our brothers and sisters sin against us, we realize that my sins against Christ are far worse than anyone's sins against me, and he forgave me, and so therefore I can forgive my brother or sister. What kind of testimony is that to a, to a world that is desperate to see the gospel being lived out? The gospel advances best in community, especially when unfortunately, sadly, we're going to sin against one another. But instead of just like jumping to the next church, we, we reach out to that person and we See clarity, and we work through those things. You see how the gospel advances in that way? Do you see how foreign that is in the world that we live in? What an awesome thing when the church, imperfect as it is, works together in unity, in humility, in order to advance the gospel. I've heard so many stories of people who encountered Christians who actually lived out what they said they believed and because of that came to Christ. You know, sadly though, I've also heard many stories of people who were repelled because of the way the church responded and treated them. So that begs the question, how do you make gospel community look to the world? In your Christian witness, and where you work, and where you live in your own homes with your children, where you live in your neighborhoods. What kind of gospel community are you portraying to the world? What an opportunity we have to advance by loving one another and serving together. Look at verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So here's the last point for today. Bad things happen when you sleep at church. I'm just kidding. That's not the point. (laughs) Gospel advancement happens when we gather. Gospel advancement happens when we gather. We gather, certainly, this is an interesting text, an interesting story that we have here. Some of the disciples have gathered together, and Paul is preaching to the people. It says he prolonged his speech. Some translations literally just say he kept on talking. Don't you hate it when the pastor just goes on and on and on? Watch what you say to that. (laughs) And then you have this young man, Eutychus, who stayed up too late playing video games, and he... Finds himself tired in church. First of all, you should never sleep in church. Second of all, if you're getting tired, why are you hanging out in a windowsill? (laughs) But yet, here he is. And lo and behold, he falls asleep and falls three stories and dies. And then, like a good youth pastor, Paul goes down and says, No big deal, it's all good. And he brings them back to life, and it says the people were greatly comforted. It actually says, in this weird verbiage that we're seeing a lot in Acts, they were not a little comforted. The truth is, though, they saw the importance of gathering together. They committed to the gathering of God's people corporately. Why do we come on a Sunday morning? It's because... We know that we need to hear from God's word, that it's good to be encouraged as we sing of God's praises to one another. And ultimately, when we are encouraged in that way, when we gather, we spur, and the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel advances. The gospel advances when we come together. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? A place to receive comfort, a a place to be challenged in our faith. A place you can find great encouragement. A place where you can bring your unsaved friends and family to hear the gospel preached boldly. I don't know what your experience was like growing up as a kid, but I I grew up in the church. My parents made a wonderful Christ-centered home for me to to grow up in. And I grew to love the church. I've been a part of the church my whole life. Uh, God rescued me at a young age. In early elementary and from that point on my greatest source of encouragement outside of God and his word and his spirit has been the church. It's the countless numbers of scriptures that the people in the church have shared with me whether it be in small group, whether it be on a Sunday morning in passing the prayers that have been prayed over me I'm not just speaking of as a pastor, I'm talking about just my journey as a believer in the church. The meals that have been shared, the tears that have been shed on my behalf when the pain was so strong in my life, the pastors who who came over on that evening when I received the news that my brother had passed away. The joy of so many voices together who are singing of our great Redeemer. One of the greatest joys I have as, as a pastor is being up here and being able to hear the God's people singing loudly from, a, from hearts that have been transformed. I love the church. It's why I've given my life to it. And as since, ever since as a boy, I've rarely missed a Sunday morning. Because I know I need it. Because every day I am tempted to forget the gospel. Every day I am tempted to forget the good news of Jesus. Every day, even as a pastor, I could be tempted to just go about, do what you got to do, do what you got to do, heart unchanged. But I realize my need for the church, my need for the public gathering. I understand my need for the regular proclamation of God's word, to keep pressing on, I believe Sunday mornings matter. Do you? Do you prioritize the meeting on Sunday morning? Not because it's a checklist, but you just realize that Scripture is very clear. Hebrews 10, 24, do not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. So there are days when you're tired and you just would rather stay home and watch online. And my encouragement is as you're able to, prioritize. Gathering. Remember, as we said in, as Jesus said in Matthew 18, I've already said it today, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am surely with you. How many of you love being in the presence of Jesus Christ? What a strong presence Jesus is with us this morning. Do you believe that? And What an awesome thing it is that we did a couple of weeks ago. I was preaching elsewhere, but when we gather together to pray corporately, The Lord meets with us. We receive great comfort when we pray together, when we can lay our burdens down to one another. One of the greatest reliefs I have found when I'm struggling is to let it go, to release it, to bring others in to what's going on. I'm struggling. I'm in a mess right now. The best thing we can do is to get other believers involved so that they can lift us up in prayer. Do you see the importance of gathering together regularly to hear the preaching of God's word, to to sing of our glorious Savior, to go before the Lord in prayer together? When we don't commit to the continual gathering of God's people, we miss out on the gospel advancing. If we don't prioritize the meeting with God's people, we can find ourselves drifting. And if we find ourselves drifting, we are starting to cling to other things. And if we are clinging to other things and finding other things more important, the less likely it is that we are going to be looking and praying for opportunities to share the gospel because our minds go elsewhere. I look around here, though, and I see so many people every week, week in, week out. Thank you for making this a priority. My prayer for you is that you would continually look for opportunities to advance the gospel. Stay committed to the local church. Stay committed to a small group where you can lay your burdens down and receive comfort from the word. I, I love what Romans 15 verse 4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. truly believe that we are called to work together and to be together regularly so that we can encourage one another. We can point each other back to the Lord. Gospel advancement is not less than evangelism, but it also involves encouraging one another. We are stronger together. When the community of God is working together in unity and humility The gospel moves forward. So be committed to community and to the gathering of the body of Christ. Let me leave you with a few action steps that you can put into place this week. I encourage you, spend some time this week to memorize Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. That's what I read earlier for you, just talking about, like, if one stumbles and there's nobody there to pick them up, that's a dangerous place, like, How can you stay warm unless you're with somebody else? So be committed, like be reminded. Sometimes we just need to be reminded, like especially you introverts who could just sit in the corner reading a book all day. Like you still, we we need each other. Read the Bible. So notice I didn't put anything specific. Be in the Word of God. If you haven't read the Gospels lately, maybe, maybe I can encourage you to open up the Book of John and just be amazed at your Savior. Third thing there, get or stay involved in community. Are you involved in community or are you just kind of participating from the fringes? I continue. I, I encourage you, keep staying in it. If you are, get more involved if you are on the outside. And then lastly, let me just encourage you to pray for gospel community. That we would be unified as a body so that the gospel would advance because of our witness in the way that we love one another, in the way that we live out genuinely our faith, reflecting the love of our Savior. Let me pray for us this morning, and let me invite you to stand as well. Father, we just come before you, and we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for this church that you've given me, given us to be a part of, Lord, the, the gift of community. I pray, Lord, that you would you would continually advance the gospel through us. We are a broken people who desperately need you, and we We thank you, Lord, that you have opened our eyes. Lord, for those of us who have repented of our sins and placed our faith in you, you have opened our eyes and we have seen how awesome you are. God, would you just continually draw us back to you, draw us back to Christ. Keep us centered on him. Lord, I I just, I confess how easy my heart strays from you, how easy my heart forgets the good news. And so, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help us to see that you are good? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.